Well, good afternoon. Um, my name is John T, and we're going to turn now to the Bible. We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just say, if this is your first ever time at Globe, um, you've really picked a Sunday to come. Um, if this is your first ever Sunday in a church, man, you've picked a good Sunday. <laughs> We don't always talk about sex in church, but we are going to today. Um, so I pre- get yourselves ready, prepared. We're going to listen to what Jesus teaches on this subject. So Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start to read at verse 27. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Sobering words, aren't they? I think we're going to need God's help this afternoon. So let's pray. Let's ask that God would help us. And let's have hearts that are ready to listen and ready to hear what he has to say. Let's pray. Father, please would you help us? Please would you give us wisdom? Help us to understand these words of Jesus. But not just to understand them, but then to know how we can live this for your glory. Amen. Okay, here's how we're going to do it, all right? Um, We're going to work through three questions. Why, what, and how? Why does Jesus say this? What exactly is he saying? And how on earth are we going to do that? All right, that's basically where we're heading. So let's start with a why. Why does Jesus say this? Because it might strike you that it's an odd thing for Jesus to be bothered about. You sort of quite often hear people say, don't you, that um, why would God care about who I sleep with? Why would God care about that part of my life? What's that got to do with him? Look, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Why on earth would we take Jesus seriously in his teaching in our modern context? Surely our world has changed, right? Surely we're a bit more enlightened, a bit more kind of woken up to stuff. Why, Why would Jesus say this? Well, this is really important for us to get clear before we look at more of the detail. The reason Jesus says this is not because he has some weird fascination with trying to control you and your life or your sex life. Not because he has this weird kind of like obsession with rules that he wants you to obey. No, there's something much bigger going on. So we need to take a step back and see the bigger thing that's happening so that we can understand why Jesus says what he says. 
So what is going on in this section? If you just had this, it would be weird. But we don't just have this. We have the whole sermon that Jesus preached. What is the whole sermon of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 about? It's about the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about. Jesus has announced that the kingdom of heaven has come into this world. Okay, so what is the kingdom of heaven? Let's keep, if you've been here, let's keep recapping this. Let's keep learning this. The kingdom of heaven is the great story that God is writing, the great narrative that God is working out through history, his kingdom. And the kingdom of heaven, this is how I want us to think about it for today. The kingdom of heaven is about Jesus healing a fractured world. Healing a fractured world world. That's what God is doing. It isn't that hard to see as you look around our world that it's fractured, right? That there are things that are broken and wrong with it. We seem to be in a a spate of glass smashing at the moment in our house. You know, they still come in waves, don't they? Does anyone... You don't break one for ages and then three go in a week? No? Okay. Well, three have gone this week. And and you can still, you know, there's the glass. It's all happy and glassy. And then it falls on the floor. It's shattered. It's still sort of a glass. And you can still see some of the glassiness of it. But it's no use anymore. It's, It's broken. It's shattered, fractured. And the biblical worldview says, our world is fractured. There are big cracks in our world. And what Jesus comes to do, what he brings the kingdom of heaven, is he comes to bring healing. He comes to remake the fractured world. The first fracture, well, you, yeah, not the first, you see all these fractures, but in Genesis chapter 4, when Things were great, but then they all went wrong. In Genesis chapter 4, you get these two brothers called Cain and Abel, and you see this massive fracture open up, where Cain wants to kill his brother Abel. Anger in his heart, which then turns into murder. And this beautiful relationship, which should be full of healing and goodness, actually becomes one of harm. Cain's desire is to harm. And you see it all over the place in the Bible that relationships that God made to be together become fractured and broken. There's now rivalry. There's harshness. There's oppression. I look for ways to dominate you and you look for ways to dominate me and we clash and we are fractured. Do you feel any of that in our world? Do you feel any of the sharp edges of those fractures? We've been praying about it, but it's not difficult to see in our news at the moment the deep fractures that exist. They're painful. It's true on an international level. It's true on a personal level. And the reason that Jesus wants to talk to you today about sex is because sex is one of the areas where our world is fractured. It's one of the areas where our world has been shattered. 
And if Jesus is going to heal a fractured world, then he is going to need to talk to us about this fracture that exists. I find it very interesting in in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is working through these different areas. Do you remember last week we were thinking about murder? And we saw that murder is about our hearts, the anger that we have in our hearts. Well, what is murder? It's a fracture. And so Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, I've come to heal the fracture in your heart of anger. He's going to talk to us next week about divorce, then about lying, then about retaliation, and then about loving your enemies. And all of these are areas where our world is sharp and shattered. That's what he's doing. It's actually a very beautiful thing that Jesus has come to do. To take what is fractured and to heal it. That's the big story. So have a think about this, right? Here is the world which is broken, the world which is shattered, where now this, this good gift of sex has become a battleground, has become a weapon which is used to dominate and to oppress and to use and to do harm to one another. What is God going to do in this broken world? Well, actually what he does is he starts his kingdom of heaven story. And we've seen this so many times. He calls a people who are going to be his people, his like kingdom of heaven on earth, Israel. And he gives them a law. He gives them ten commandments. What are the ten commandments about? They're about healing the fracture, right? You see, we tend to think the Ten Commandments are about restricting us. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's not what they're about. The Ten Commandments are about God beginning his restoration work on this world. Okay, sorry, we'll get to this stuff, but we've got to see the bigger picture. When I talk about a fractured relationship, fundamentally what's happened is our relationship with God has been fractured and our relationships with one another have been fractured. And so what does God say in the Ten Commandments? The first four are about healing the fracture between us and God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an image of God. Don't misuse God's name. Honor the Sabbath day. Worship him. They're the first four commandments Healing the fracture between us and God. Then the next six are about healing the fractures between us. Honor your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Those fracturing things. Don't steal from one another. Don't lie to each other. Don't cover what each other have got. Do you you not see that what God is doing, he's not restricting you. He's healing you through his law. That's what it's for. So that the kingdom of heaven might be reestablished. And number seven is this whole area of sexual relationship. The healing of our sexuality and our sex, sexual desires. But that story, that law which is there in, in the Old Testament... That wasn't the final thing. It was, it was the start of it, but it wasn't the final thing because that law was always pointing forwards, pointing to something else. The acorn becomes an oak tree as it points forward and says this, some, the kingdom's coming. That's Jesus. 
It's always pointing to Jesus. And Jesus takes that law, you shall not commit adultery. And he says, let me show you how deep the healing in my kingdom is going to go. I'm not just going to heal you on the level of your behavior. I'm going to heal you at the level of your heart. Stunning. So when Jesus talks like this, I want you to understand he talks like this because he loves you. He talks like this because he wants to heal you. He talks like this because his kingdom is about bringing the great restoration of this world. I think that's great. That's why he speaks like this, because he loves you. But what? What is it exactly he's telling us? What does he mean? Well, let's look at it again. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What is he saying? What Jesus is saying is that there is a problem that lurks in the human heart, in every human heart, which is called lust. And lust will take something good and distort it into something bad. So let me be completely clear. The Bible says that sexual desire and sex are a good thing. We were created to be sexual beings. We were created with desire. And God made us that way. And the gift that he gives of sex is to bring together one man and one woman for life in a beautiful relationship of safety and unity. That is what sex is. That's what it's for. So sexual desire is not wrong. Please don't hear me say that. But it can easily get distorted. In the same way that if I said to you this afternoon, is fire good, what would you say to me? Is fire good? What would you say? Yes. Always? No. Is fire good? It really depends where it is, right? Because if it's in my fireplace, my fireplace in my castle where I live, (laughs) if it's in my fireplace, great. If it's on my rug, not great. I don't want the fire that... You get the point. And over centuries, that's been one of the main images that's been used to help people understand this idea that sex is a good thing. It's a really good thing in its right place. But there is a wrong place. And when sex is put in its wrong place, then it becomes dangerous. And so what is it that Jesus is speaking of in his kingdom? He's talking about lust which is sexual desire that is about my satisfaction, not the other person. Lust is always about what I want, 
What I desire, what pleases me. And that is always a distortion of God's good gift. Because God's gift of sex was always about giving. It was always about serving. About preferring the other. That's what it's for. Lust switches it all around. And the reason that lust is so tragic and so anti the kingdom of heaven is because lust takes someone who is created in the image of God and turns them into an object for my pleasure. That's what lust does. I look at someone and I don't see the image of God. I see something for me to enjoy. Something for me to feast myself upon. Can you see why that would be so offensive to God? Can you see why that fractures the relationship? You see, here is someone who's created in the image of God, who I'm supposed to love and to serve and to move towards. That's the kingdom of heaven. We were created together in unity. But instead, we rip it apart. And instead, it becomes an object. Interestingly, I, I, I say that interestingly a lot. I don't know if it's interesting. I think anger does the same thing. We saw this last week. It's an object. I get angry with someone when they are an object that's in my way. That in some way is preventing me from doing what I want. So I objectify this thing that's in my way. And I think, get out of my way. Rather than seeing an image bearer of God who I should lay down my desires to serve them. Instead, I unleash my anger. You see? All of these things are the same. Jesus is calling us to this beautiful, image-bearing unity that God created. Now, let's just make a couple of other notes, just um, uh, important things here. Jesus says, I tell you, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The word looks there is not just um, kind of looks at someone and then kind of glances at, you know, kind of, hello. You know, it's, it's, some, it's when you look and go on looking. It's, that's the, the, the verb. It's the kind of fixing your gaze upon. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's making the decision to take this person and use them for my pleasure. And whether that's walking down the street or something I watch on telly or whatever it might be or something on Facebook, whatever it might be, I make that decision to go, ah, yes, you're nice. I'm going to use you to become an object of my pleasure. It might be the object of my fantasy. I'm going to fantasize about what you could do for me. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? Lust. And that is what Jesus says matters. 
You see, mostly we think, well, as long as I don't act out the stuff that I think in my head, it doesn't matter, right? So all all the laws in our country, they operate at the level of behavior, not at the level of heart, because that would be weird, right? I mean, how freaky would that be? But in Jesus' kingdom, he so passionately loves that he says, no, I want your heart. I want you to not just behave outwardly. I I want your heart to be right. This goes back to the Beatitudes. If you remember the first week we did in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. To be pure. To be someone who has absolute integrity, nothing to spoil. I think the word pure might be one of those words that gets a bit of a bad press. You know, it's a bit of pure, a bit boring. (laughs) No, purity is beautiful. Purity is not some sterile kind of keep everything away. Purity is about being whole and with nothing to spoil. That's what Jesus is calling us to. So if that's the why, he loves you and his kingdom is about healing this world. And the what is this lust, this desire to use someone else for my own pleasure. How? How do we do it? And that's what Jesus says in verse 29 onwards. Let me read it again. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, it is... Uh, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Anyone feel uncomfortable about what Jesus says? That's strong. I don't think Jesus literally means take your eye and your hand off. But I do think he literally means deal with it. Let me just work this through in, in, in three ways, okay? I think this means that when it comes to this area of sexual sin, okay, let me say. When it comes to this area of sexual sin, there is not a single person in this room who is not in some way impacted by this. There's not a single person in this room who doesn't have some experience of that, some reality as part of their story. I know that. And I know that for many of you, you feel the fractures of this very sharply in your life. And I do want you to know, as you listen to what I'm about to say, that Jesus is for you. And we're going to land on this at the end. That Jesus died for you. Jesus will heal you. Jesus will restore you. And Jesus will transform you. So don't despair as I say what I'm going to say next, okay? Right, here we go. Three ways that I think we can sort of try and practically work this out. Firstly, we need honesty. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. There are things that will cause you to stumble. And I think one of our biggest problems is that we don't, we kid ourselves. 
We're not honest in our own hearts about what's really going on in our hearts. It's a bit like um, fishing, right? You get the little worm on a hook, and there's a worm. And the worm is saying, look at me, I'm a fat worm. Um, And the fish goes, ooh, that looks nice. You know how this works, right? It's all a lie. It's a lie. Everything's a lie. And yet the fish is deceived. It's a worm. What harm could it do? It won't do any bad thing to me. And mice with mousetraps are even worse, right? Do you know on a mousetrap, you don't even have to put real cheese on it. You just need a yellow bit of plastic. It's, I was so offended when I got a mousetrap. I was trying to humanely get rid of some mice. And, um, and I, I got a mousetrap. I was like, where do I put the cheese? They said, you don't need to put cheese on it. I said, what do you mean you don't put cheese on it? He's got no, no, the yellow thing, that, that's enough. You're kidding me. We're not even letting it have a little bit of cheese before it gets there. It steps on it and goes, oh, it's not cheese. Oh. Anyway, my point is, I think we get deceived, right? We think that it's nothing dangerous. It, it doesn't, you know, I, I, can, I can watch this. It doesn't affect me. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything to me. Really? Let's talk about watching things for a second. There is a category of stuff that I think we're all aware of. The world of pornography is horrific, right? It's horrific. It is abusive. It is evil. It is satanic, right? It's horrific. And I think most of us sort of know that. Apparently, there's a, there's, a, there's a type of pornography coming out called ethical porn. It's a joke. It's a lie, right? It's, it's the stupid worm on a hook going, oh, I'm ethical. What are you talking about, right? It's abusive. It's evil. Here's my suggestion, right? If you, now, I know that many of us in this room will struggle with pornography. I get that. Here's an idea. I'm not saying this is easy, but here's an idea. Next time you find yourself in that situation, look at the woman on the screen and say she is in the image of God. And then get on your knees and pray for her. Pray for her. Do you not see, right? And so there's this category of stuff and... We deceive ourselves if we think it isn't damaging us. It is enslaving us. But some of us may be saying, that's not really my problem. But there is another category of stuff that we watch, right? That's not pornography. It's by actors who are well paid and perhaps they're nicely looked after. And therefore, you know, they, they have agency and they're free. And therefore, I can watch stuff. I don't really want to name shows because I don't want to call things out on purpose. But you get the sort of stuff. I mean, okay, fine. Game of Thrones, Bridgerton, this sort of stuff, right? Stuff that we might watch or read that we just sort of think doesn't really matter. I'm only naming this loads, all right? I got Netflix over summer. Haven't had Netflix before. On the home page of Netflix, 
There were, I was being offered at least six sexually explicit box sets to watch. As like, this is what, here we go, this is what you should watch. And I think our problem is that we're watching this stuff and we're going, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't really do anything. It's fine. We're deceiving ourselves. It is shaping the way that we view one another. It's shaping the way that we view relationships. Now, I can't tell you what you should and shouldn't watch, but I beg of you, at least think what it's doing to your heart. At least think, what is this doing as I watch this? How is this shaping me? I think we deceive ourselves. And we need a bit more honesty. If something is causing you to sin, there is stuff that's causing it. Be honest about it. It's not just watching stuff, though. What about the innocent coffee with a friend, with a work colleague, a married work colleague? Just an innocent, there's nothing going on, there's nothing going on. But if you look hard enough in your heart, perhaps there is. And perhaps there is a little flicker of excitement because this person's noticed me. This person wants to go out. This person seems to value my counsel. This person seems interested in me. This person makes me feel quite good. Wake up. We've got to stop deceiving ourselves as if nothing's going on. It is. We are beginning to find ourselves putting steps down the road that could easily lead to disaster. I could introduce you to men, and I don't know as many women, but, I, but it would definitely be true the other way around. I could introduce you to men who would, who would tell you that their marriage fell apart because they just weren't honest enough soon enough. And once you've gone down the road, it's very difficult to stop. The easiest time to stop is in the very first three seconds. So, look, let's have a we loud and new five-second rule. Forget the five seconds on the floor, food on the floor. Forget that one. What about the five seconds when you have that moment where you think, oh, I'm quite interested in that. You're walking down the street and you see someone who you find sexually attractive. You probably have a few seconds to make the decision. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to stare, fantasize, let it grow? Or are you going to walk down the street and say, Father, thank you for creating such a beautiful human being. This, right? I'm trying to be practical. We've got to get practical. Because there are Christians who are being held back from doing what God calls them to do, from stepping into the ministry of the kingdom of heaven because this is holding them. And perhaps this afternoon Jesus says, no, I want to set you free. I came to heal you. I came to bring restoration. It's not over. It's not over for you. So there needs to be some honesty. Just be honest. And then there needs to be decisive action. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Throw it away. Get rid of it. 
If there's something in our lives that we find over and over again makes us stumble, then we are idiots if we don't get rid of it. I used to work, uh, do quite a lot of work with addicts um, in AA. And one of the um, sayings that they have a lot in AA is the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. Right? You know, we say, okay, I'm going, I've got this, oh, I keep watching this thing on, on, on whatever, but it's okay, I won't do it again, I won't do it again. And then you find yourself, you've done it again. Oh, I won't do it again, I won't do it. Of course you'll do it again. <laughs> Unless something changes. Unless you do something. That might be, we need to get rid of some stuff. It might be, actually having a smartphone isn't the best idea for you. Oh, but it's so inconvenient. Yes, it would be inconvenient. But there's an urgency to this. Because Jesus warns us that he's not messing around. Because the reality is, if we continually choose to abuse image bearers of God for our own pleasure, then one day we will be cut off from God forever in hell. Jesus speaks very openly about hell. And hell is the ultimate fracturing of all that is good. When we are fractured from God forever, cut off from all that is good in God forever, and cut off from one another forever. Jesus speaks this way because he loves loves you so much. And he says, this, this really matters. How do we land all this? This is hard for all of us, okay? All of us struggle with this. If you, if you genuinely have no struggles with this, God bless you, wait for next, two weeks' time. <laughs> But most of us will find ourselves feeling uncomfortable. Here's what I want to say. Be inspired by the beauty of what Jesus is saying. Can you imagine a community where we treated one another with the honor and value that image bearers deserve? Right, ima- come on, imagine it in your head right now. Imagine where we saw one another. We never treated each other as objects for our own satisfaction, but instead we treated one another with absolute value and integrity. Imagine we had such purity. I think that would be the safest place on earth. I think that would be where you could most safely be a man and a woman, where you knew that you were safe where you knew that you would not be harmed or taken advantage of or exploited, you knew you would be safe. That's what Jesus is talking about in his kingdom of heaven. And that's why if we could live like this, we would shine in this world. Shine in a world that is full of sexually broken people. We could shine as we seek to live this out. So I want to say to us, look, Let's be ambitious for one another's purity. Let's be ambitious for one another's protection. 
Let's be ambitious that together we might be able to move forwards in this area in purity. Let's get rid of any sort of... The flirting, the the kind of confusing each other, sending mixed messages, you know, being sort of like, oh, I quite, you know. Let's love each other enough to be honest and have integrity and beauty in the way that we speak. In our friendships, we don't have to have this weird thing. Some church, you know, like about 20 years ago, church went all weird where suddenly every man and woman was kind of like a potential sexual threat to one another and therefore we all had to stay away from each other and we couldn't have friends and I couldn't go out for a coffee. Of course you can. Of course we can have friendships between men and women. We're brothers and sisters. But you've got to be honest about what's really going on. We've got to love each other enough. Look, here's low. There's so much more that could be said. I, I, I feel like we've skated the surface. Here's where I want to land. I want to land with this clear understanding that Jesus' kingdom is not for the sexually perfect. It is for people who have come to Jesus to be healed by him. Some of us bear great shame for things in the past. Some of us feel deeply, deeply broken. Some of us may well have been abused. Some of us may bear heavy, heavy scars. Jesus says, I came that you might be healed. He loves you. He's for you. He died on a cross so that you might be healed and so that he might begin to teach you to walk in these ways of purity. Do not despair. Do not give up. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And that's what he calls us into. So come be part of this story. Come be part of the great story of God's kingdom healing the fracture, healing, the be- healing this world, and be part of this beauty. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God of purity. Thank you so much that you're a God who loves us. Thank you that every single person in this room has been made in your image. Thank you for your perfect good design that sex is for marriage between one man and one woman and that we might live in that reality. And that we might find joy in understanding what you have done. Lord, for those of us who are married, we pray you'd help us to be pure in our marriages and faithful. Father, for those of us who are single, we ask that you would help us to know and to trust your goodness. Father, for those of us who really battle with these sexual desires. Lord, please, even this afternoon, would you draw near to us? Would you draw near to us and by your spirit, heal and transform and enable us to live this kingdom life, this healed life. And Lord, where we fail, thank you, there's forgiveness. Over and over again, there's forgiveness because of Jesus. Lord, we ask for your grace and help in Jesus' name. Amen.